Hi Singapore, you're watching episode 16 of SG Sports Uncut. I'm your host, Raj Kumar. And Uncut is a show that brings you closer to our team Singapore athletes and officials. Today, we throw the spotlight on gymnastics. It's been 15 years since Singapore last won an individual goal in the sport of gymnastics at the SEA Games. That was by Nicole Tay in the floor event exercise back in 2005. Since then, the gold medal drought has continued till today. But in light of the emerging group of young gymnasts, just how long will it take for them to medal consistently at the regional competitions? For that and much more, let's find out from our friends from Singapore Gymnastics. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 16 of SG Sports Uncut. General Manager of Singapore Gymnastics, Karen Norden, we'll start with you and it's 2020, a brand new start to a different decade. Thus, one of the main questions is how long will it take for Singapore's gymnasts to medal at the Olympic Games? Uh, Multi-million dollar question, I'd be a rich woman if I could answer that correctly. But look, when you look back at places like Great Britain, the Netherlands, um, Netherlands are a perfect example. 2016, they won their first gold medal on balance beam. Now that was a, um, a system that was set up 20 years mm. again, but for them, the advantage is they had a really strong club culture and a very strong coaching culture as well, mm. um, and sporting culture. So for Singapore, I think it's a little way off. We've still got to get that culture happening. Um, make sure that sports are number one. Um, mm. It's not like Australia where we're sort of very um, fanatical about sports. So mm. we can build sport into the culture and I think um, another 15, 20 years we'll see someone on the podium. So you said the Dutch took about 20 years before yeah. it actually bore fruit in 2016? Yeah, correct. Wow. So, so about 2000 I think they started. So to put it very simply, at this moment in time, we don't have uh, the level of a top caliber gymnast to podium at the, at the games? We've, we've got that athletes. What we yeah. don't have is the infrastructure and the alignment between all the parties. I think one of the things what we really want to aim for is to have athletes qualifying for the Olympics every four years. Right. So that's the first step and mm. then from there you can get that culture, the mindset that we can do it. Mm. I think um, one of the things when certain did make it, it was like, wow, well, well, we can really do it. So I think we need to make sure that people believe that we can do qualify people to the Olympics and then it's the next step. That's right. They are Daisy and of course six months ago qualified for the Tokyo Olympics. We'll be speaking to her in just a short while. Uh, joining us as well is head coach of the women's artistic gymnast gymnastics squad, Harriet Beltman. Uh, Harriet, would it be fair to say that our Singaporean athletes are just not built the, the same way the Russians, the Chinese, the American gymnasts or even some of the European countries uh, in terms of training from a very, very young age or even the support from parents and family? Uh, Body-wise, it's not fair to say that they're not the same as a Russian or an American or whatever because a body is a body. Yeah, yeah but based on systems, there is a big difference, that's mm -hmm. for sure. The big countries, they start younger, they have a better club culture, they have a more expanded uh, way of supporting their gymnasts in every sense, not only in the gym but also outside of the gym. Yeah, yeah and that of course is different to, compared to the situation over here, that's for sure. Okay. Uh, you've trained in other countries around the world. What do you reckon are two key factors that we are still lacking in Singapore today in order to take our gymnasts to the next level? The first is a balanced structure. There is a structure but there is disbalance in the structure. Disbalance yes, in the structure. And secondly is a uh, a better and stronger club culture. Okay. Club as in private clubs? 
a club for me is a club. I don't make a difference between a private club and a club because I know uh, the system in America has private clubs and we in Holland only have, uh, well, it's not non-profit, non-profit clubs and non-private clubs. Mm -hmm. But the depth of uh, clubs and the number of gymnasts and the, the, let's say the average level of gymnasts in a club, if this goes up, well, then you never, your national level also will go up. That's right, because the pool is wider. Yeah, yeah of course. Talent. Yeah. Joining us today, uh, Terry Tay is a renowned local gymnast with three SEA Games campaigns under your belt. So as an athlete, Terry, do you feel that enough is being done here for you and your counterparts to train and raise your game to another level? I would say thank you for the support we get because I've been in the sport with Singapore for over 10 years actually mm. in the national team so I've received a lot of support <laughs> over the past decade um, definitely more can always be done uh, but I have to see what we can work with what we have now mm. so to continue uh, training consistently and hard uh, focusing on my uh, um, my focus as an athlete that's more important than seeing what we can't control the externalities so mm. focus what on we have okay. yeah, myself so what do you feel is the biggest hurdle in your quest for becoming a better athlete worthy of winning medals, medals consistently at the international stage? Mm, I guess it would probably be distractions. As in Singapore, there's so many things going on. So for myself, I'm still studying. Right. I'm in my second and final year of university. Um, I'm working part-time. Mm. Uh, I'm training. So I have to balance all these things together. In Singapore, it's a bit of a juggle. Yeah, so to find a key balance how to clock in the number of hours to keep consistently improving mm. yeah, to working towards your goal amidst all of these distractions yeah. Yeah. it's quite the same story similar story with a number of athletes who have to juggle uh, either their studies or work together with the sport uh, just, I, just as I posed the question to Karen a few minutes ago when could we possibly see a Singaporean gymnast medal at the Olympics she says probably another 15-20 years what do you think? Well, in the men's team, there are some pretty promising juniors. Mm. So, um, Kevin range from Paris 2024 to qualify firstly, mm. uh, even to, I think, in America, is it New York mm. or Los Angeles? They are the Olympics in 2028. So, they're actually looking at that qualifying for both. Right. And the, one in, the one in 2024. Yeah, that's then in Paris. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, 2028. Yeah. 2028, yeah, yeah. Okay. For our men. Mm, for right. the juniors. Mm. Yeah. So, you're saying. We have to qualify first. Obviously, you qualify first, but two zero two eight could be the chance at having a podium. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, coming back to Karen, do you feel that your NSA Singapore Gymnastics deserves more funding <laughs> and financial resources, or are you comfortable with the numbers that you have now annually? Um, we do get a lot of support from Sport SG. They've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes on making sure that the the actual NSA is stronger governance-wise. They put more money into management. They put more money into coaching, which when I arrived three, two and a half, three years ago, um, it was a common saying, you know, you pay, pay peanuts, you get monkeys. Mm -hmm. I think um, the support from them to upskill and make sure we can put in some really good quality coaches, having Herrick come on board was a big win for us. Mm -hmm. There's always you always need more money because it's it's a costly sport and um, high performance the return on investment isn't great. So um, for us, we need a facility mm. definitely. We need a home for our gymnasts that's got the caliber that we can put them all together. The coaches can learn and bounce off each other. Um, for us, that's probably the biggest thing. The support we need mm. continued support with uh, good governance with our board aligning. Everybody from Sport SG through to the board, through to the management, to the coaching team and athletes. Mm. I think that's the key. We 
you can throw all the money you like, but we could actually not be very efficient and effective spending it. I think um, we need to be more efficient and effective. We do get quite a bit of money. Mm. Um, I just don't think we use it smartly enough, and we're not aligned with it or everybody. Yeah. I'll come back to the, the money question yeah. in, a, in a few moments, but you said uh, you need your own facility. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? Um, at the moment, we've got our men's uh, training in the Bishan, which is a substandard... Bishan Stadium. Yeah, uh, Bishan. Bishan Sports Hall. Yeah, and yeah. it's a community-based facility, so we share it. So mm. the boys have um, community-based athletes running across and in their way regularly. The girl, which is dangerous... You, you, you mean you don't close the, no. the gyms, the, your training sessions are not closed off to the public? No. No, we have other people using the facility. Not ideal. Uh, the girls are in CCAB. That's Ministry of Education. We've been really lucky to have that facility, but it's not ideal. The the ventilation there is not conducive. Uh, it's not okay right now, but June, July, August. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the amount of repetitions that the girls need to do needs to go down because of safety. Mm. Uh, the Rhythmic Girls are at two to three different venues as well. So while they're at OCBC here, mm. um, we can't fit all of them. Uh, and for our coaches... So there is some training at the OCBC area? Yeah, but that's up. just for our Rhythmic athletes. So if we put them all together, mm. A, it's more efficient and effective um, for everybody. And the coaches can then learn off each other and the athletes can learn off each other and we can get a real high performance culture at the moment. It's disjointed uh, and it's really difficult because we're, we've got three, four different centres we're trying to manage. It's not efficient yeah. and effective. Hmm. Okay, so coming back to what you said before we talked about yeah. the standalone facility. So money no enough, money no enough is uh, <laughs> your answer. Famous saying, money no enough in Singapore. Then how much does uh, your NSA truly require to handle the programs for the schools, public, youth development, athletes' welfare, overseas training stints? I mean, what is the magic number that we are looking at? One million? Two million? Uh, it'd be around three to four million because we really want to get into schools. So that's one of the things we've started to work with um, Active SG and Sport SG on is how we get into schools. We want to be in every kindergarten, gymnastics in every kindergarten. We want to be in schools. So that's a lot of um, infrastructure we need to build um, through the clubs and coaches. We actually want the clubs delivering. So as we say, we need a really strong club culture mm. so our high performance becomes better. So. Um, we need money to support the club culture to get more coaches on board. We've got an education framework we've been developing, but that takes money and time as well. And then for me, it's changing the perception that sport can be a career. You can be a sport management, you can be a sports coach, but it's a career you can stay in. Mm. Um, a lot of countries have a sport, an MBA in sport, sport management. Mm. And, you know, and you know that's one of the things that I've done. And you can also go and become a sports coach and have a university degree. I think if we start to do some of these things in Singapore, that's bigger picture, but that can really help the mindset of making it a career path. Okay, so like you said, your wish list is probably three to four million dollars annually. So the next and, and a facility and a facility. <laughs> the next question would be, what will uh, will you be doing to justify that wish list and? What are you promising to deliver to the powers that be who grant the funding? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I think one of the ones is the Active SG Academy program that will be rolling out in April. In Senko will be the first. We want to be in 15 centres by March 2021 mm -hmm. um, and then all kindergartens by 2022. So that's a big, big task and we're prepared to uh, work in partnership with Active SG. We think we can bookend as well because gentle gymnastics um, we need to do more weight-bearing activities, more spatial awareness as people get older. Mm. They're the things that they really need to 
to do to prevent um, the climbing health budget that we have. So we think we can bookend gymnastics. You know, start, you start here, go anywhere, and then we can also do the benefits of health with um, the older senior athletes. And then we know we can perform. There's a lot of medals. There's 21 medals that you can actually win at an Olympics in gymnastics. Um, so if you have some talented athletes, which we do have, and we support them all the way through the through the pathway, um, you know, there are medals there. Okay. Coming back to Coach Herrick, is money the only factor to this uh, $6 million question of when can we see a medal winning gymnast at the Olympics or is it more than money? <laughs> if this was a, the case, it would be simple. Mm -hmm. Just put money on the table and wait and your medal will be there. Mm. <laughs> so it's not that simple. Uh, money, of course, is important, but the most important thing for me as a coach is a, is a, ba a balanced structure. And the structure means that you have everything that's needed to get on a higher level is ready there, is, is ready to, you, uh, to be used. Mm. That for me is the most important thing. And the two things in special over here in Singapore are school is very, very important over here and takes a lot of time mm. and that interferes with what we need to build a good gymnast. And this is the problem that has to be solved. If this will not be solved, uh, the level of course will go up now and then. A special kid will always be there. And if you treat your special kid very good, then she can go to a very high, high level, but it never will be a structurized level. And that is, and then in this case, school is very important. So your structure must be, must be making possible that the kids train twice a day. Internationally, uh, all uh, big countries train, train twice a day, and we only train once a day. Mm -hmm. And that means there is no balance, the kids are uh, tensed, uh, uh, there is a lot of pressure on them, there is uh, not, a lot, not enough time to recover, yeah. and that makes one of the most important things to change. You are presently working with our National Artistic Gymnasts. Yeah. What is your assessment of their overall talents as of today? Well, like I said before, uh, talent is everywhere, so also in Singapore, but you have to build it, and that takes time, money, and structure. Mm. Okay. Terry, is the bar set so high that none of our current crop of athletes can come close to a top five finish at the Asian Games or the Olympics? Mm, I don't think so. That's actually, to qualify for the Games already, uh, you have to be of the top six, right. uh, the mark, so you get a top six score. Mm. So that will actually put you on the same par, on the same league as um, yeah, world-class athletes like from China, Japan, etc. Mm -hmm. So qualifying for the games really itself mm -hmm. uh, is part of the process which puts you on a similar benchmark. So to hit a uh, podium finish, you know, the top 5% out, yeah. uh, that's how you perform and yeah, together the system, the structure and the daily stresses, um, yeah, how do you cope with that and push yourself to result distractions amidst all of that mm -hmm. and to focus on that when you have already qualified and the fine-tuning towards that process and uh, the podium finish goal. Okay. So what about for yourself? I mean, you won at the SEA Games level and at the Commonwealth Youth Games. Now, at the age of 26, are you still hoping to go one higher than those two championships? Mm. So for a start, it would be the SEA Games. Next year, SEA Games is actually pretty fast. Mm. It's a year now, seems so in Vietnam. Uh, so I've only won a team medal, uh, Singapore's first historic team medal in 2015 in Singapore. Mm. So I hope to have a podium finish on an individual apparatus final. Yeah. Okay. And beyond that, um, yes, I would like to medal or at least uh, qualify, finish top five at the Asian and Commonwealth Games level. Wow. Okay. Speaking of the Sea Games, you just touched on it. Uh, you were there competing in Manila in the boat just under three months ago. How would you sum up your performance? 
Well, honestly, um, I was there. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, it was we a pretty rough outing. Look at the footage. I mean, yeah. as you as you talk over it, wasn't uh, up to as I expected. Um, preparation was good. Um, Saying not perfect, but close to perfect. Yeah, it is that it didn't work out as expected. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, it's just taking back handle from the experience because I've been in this sport for a while. And I believe um, how we uh, bounce back from that is more important because it can shape. Uh, how you see your future like if I want to medal on a apparatus final in Vietnam Sea Games mm. or even qualify top 5 it's very important to take this as different milestones mm. to work towards that not as a setback so would you know what what is the mark or what do you have what, what kind of a points do you have to achieve in order to try and medal at the Sea Games mm, every, after every Olympic cycle mm. the, the score the code changes okay. so you have to see how people perform but um, so usually you'll be able to gauge from uh, certain World Cups or certain um, after Tokyo Cycle Show. So after Tokyo, yeah. you'll be able to see in the first few months of World Cups, and you can gauge from there mm. how our various competitors are doing in Southeast Asia or Commonwealth area. Okay. okay. Um, Harry, even though you're the women's artistic coach, I assume you would have seen uh, Terry's performances in Manila. And if you did, your thoughts, please. No, I didn't see them because oh. I was in the training gym when he did his final and his uh, uh-huh. overall competitions. But of course, I know because some days we train together, and the boys are promising. That's looking good. They're mm-hmm. working hard. They have a good coach. So, like he said, going up step by step. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, 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 I'm there. Okay. Okay. What about your own athletes? Uh, how many competed in the artistic discipline, and how did they fare overall? I started in August, <clears throat> from August until now we did none competition, not at all. Uh, the reason is uh, after, I, I did a competition with uh, Nadine in Europe mm-hmm. and with Suen uh, World Cup and then I was part of the supporting team for Suen to go to uh, the Olympics with our right. World Championship in Stuttgart. After that I, re- after that I returned, did uh, my first serious part of block of training mm-hmm. and after this I decided to do no competitions for a while because our juniors are far behind mm-hmm. to uh, let's say an international standard. So you have to make time up somewhere and I decided not to do any competitions and only train for a, high, a, a bigger score, a bigger uh, uh, routine mm-hmm. so they are more competitive in a, in a, in a few months. Okay. Um, so we, so you had five uh, artistic gymnasts who competed at the Sea Games. Um, what were your targets for them in terms of a medal? I was the only with one, one uh, female athlete. Yeah, for me, Sea Games was an unknown territory because I've never been there. I have to just have an idea about what the level was. Mm. Uh, after arriving, doing some training, it was clear that. Uh, the girl we were with had a medal chance mm. on more than one apparatus. At the end, she only made beam final, mm. and beam is uh, to be or not to be. Uh, yeah, it's always you can win. Everybody can win beam, but you have to stay on it, and that didn't happen. So the medal was out of reach. Okay, Karen, we sent a nine-member squad to the Sea Games in Manila. Gymnastics delivered one bronze medal in the horizontal bar for men through Sean. To Sean uh, Yo, yeah. your summary of the team at the Sea Games. Yeah, it was a really tough campaign for us because it started out that we had an ambition to have seven podium finishes, but that was like two years ago, and it was before the competition program was released, and um, the Philippine 
program was very skewed towards uh, one male athlete because mm. they had um, a champion there. So there was uh, the team team awards that we normally medal in for uh, both men's artistic, women's artistic, and uh, rhythmic were taken out. So that's through the campaign. Mm. They also took out their overall medals mm. except for male. But then I think a week and a half before we left for. Um, the Philippines, they put the Women's Artistic All-Around Medal back in because the International Federation uh, pushed a gender equality issue, mm. uh, which would have been terrific for us if we'd known in advance, but we hadn't prepared our athletes for an all-around. We were just going for medal, um, focusing on a medal on an apparatus. So uh, it was a, a tough campaign because of the changing of the competition program for us. And, um, you know, you don't want to put everything into the Sea Games as such because you're looking at bigger pictures of Asian Games and Asian Championships. Mm. Uh, for the women's artistic, we had two really amazing medal chances with Sir Ern and Nadine. <coughs> and for us, that um, their injuries was probably the most disappointing. Uh, they were just as disappointed. But for us, I, I knew what Nadine was ready. She was ready to compete. Mm. Um, we were really excited with how she was looking. And so was Cern. So um, that were our two medal chances. But don't take away from Sean. Um, for me, that was probably the sweetest medal. He went to 2017 Sea Games, mm. was qualified to win, and um, injured himself in podium. And then so to bounce back from that, for us, I think that was probably a, a really sweet medal for us. I think the whole team were pretty chuffed, were yeah. we? I think it was like a team medal. It didn't matter that there was no team event for us. Uh, Sean's standing there. Sean's done it tough as well. It's not hasn't been an easy road for him. So I think, yeah, while it was only one medal, the team atmosphere that we had there was really positive. I think we've got some great coaches and we've got some really good role models of athletes that are coming through that mm. can take the next generation on. So, so taking all of what you said into yeah. consideration, on the eve of the start of the campaign, yeah. what was your, what what was in your mind, when in terms of medals, you knew uh, that your top two were out, and then the team events were. Um, Sean's medal, we, that was the one that we definitely knew. I, as we were banking on that. Mm -hmm. I think definitely Shane, we knew had a chance of um, at least making two finals and medaling, mm -hmm. and. Yeah, Terry. <laughs> Terry, um, because Terry performed at Asian Championships and placed fifth, you yeah. know, in a, in finals. So for Terry, um, it just wasn't his day at that time. And as he said, you know, we've done a lot of soul searching and st mm. around that. Mm. But um, we also had Lincoln on high bar, and he 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 was a highlight for the audience because he does a lot of release moves. So everyone, oh wow, wow. Mm -hmm. Um, so to have Lincoln also, he's done it tough. You know, these guys have done it tough. Um, you know, financially, everything uh, through injury. Mm. Lincoln goes against the odds because of his size as well, which is, for me, I love to see people, you know, get out and break the norms. Mm. So looking back, what was your most significant uh, takeaway from the 2019 Games? Uh We do need to continue with our depth. We need to really um, look after our athletes. So one of the things we've worked with Sport SG on is um, getting an athlete performance manager. It's a physio that comes on board, looks after our athletes, uh, connects them to all the sports science, sports medicines, because it's not just about the physical, it's also about the mental, and you can't take that away. So having someone that will connect all the sports science with the athletes, with the coaches, with us, 
Um, it's those one percenters that make a difference mm. and you can't over, overlook those. So we've got some really good coaches, we're getting things in place, but having someone just monitor the athletes, um, you know, let us know that they're not quite, you know, there's some things bothering them. I think, you know, sometimes you find out afterwards and it's too late and we couldn't put things into place then. Okay. Terry, for the Manila Sea Games, would you say that you had ample time to prepare in Singapore or did you have to juggle your studies and training at the same time? Yes, I did have ample time because we had a progressive build-up. Yes. So we had like control tests. Um, so control tests meaning that we have a full suit preparation, mm. uh, style of hair, wear the gymnastic suit and we actually have judges come down to simulate mock competition. Mm. So yeah. we had a lot of that in Singapore. Oh, right. yeah. So um, the build-up there towards when we arrived in Manila. So it was very good. So it's, we had ample time in Singapore to prepare mm. and to just put aside distractions. I actually took a break or I arranged my school schedule such that we could train two times a day. Mm. And yeah, we had a pretty good build up towards Sea uh, Games in Manila. Okay. You're presently not under the SPECS program or Sports Excellence program by the Singapore Sports Institute. Does, uh, have you had to spend your own money to train overseas or buy equipment and gear? And, other benefits which the SPECS athletes are entitled to? Mm, yes, definitely. So as mentioned earlier, I'm actually working part-time. Mm. Yeah, so to fund... Um, so you're working, you're studying and you're training? Yes, that's right. So uh, it's a bit of a challenge, but I take it in stride. So I do learn from these things and mm. most me as a person. Um, because if you just do gymnastics alone, sometimes it gets a bit in your own bubble. Yeah. You have see much, so you interact with other clients and different people. You should do learn a lot. And they're quite surprised, like, wow, you, you do all this, you train, you study and you work. Mm. Wow, that's pretty interesting, but yeah. Um, so you do have support, but that yeah, mm. would be nice, mm. maybe. Okay, so what would you say is the ideal scenario for you if you aim to deliver, like you say, uh, to win an individual goal possibly at the SEA Games or even higher? What is the ideal scenario that you would hope to be in a situation? Mm. I like to train full-time actually. Yeah, so uh, we call it somewhat like a dream because I'm already halfway into my um, school, mm. graduating next year. Mm. So yeah, I would like to train full time. Okay, okay. Eric, in terms of uh, training facilities and venues, I'm assuming the current resources, uh, we touched about it just now, uh, Bishan Sports Hall and OCBC Arena and I think CCAB as well. Uh, from, from the fact that you, uh, you've trained around the world, what is the situation in Singapore? This gym is a average gym we work in, average for let's say young kids coming up learning mm. but if you are more uh, advanced, your level is higher, you need a bit more than what is there at the moment. Yeah, so oh, it's, it's for the time being it's okay but mm. if you give me a ship of money I know what I would, I would like to change. Okay, what are one or two uh, grievances uh, which your artistic gymnasts are still complaining or even have to deal with today? Well, the, the biggest thing is uh, the lack of time to recover. That is the, that, that is the most important uh, factor for the time being. They have because they're studying. Yeah. yeah, they have to go to school. They run after school 7:30 in the morning, and after this, they run to the gym do a four, four and a half hour training, what is really long, mm. and then go home, eat, do some homework, sleep, and do it again and again and again and again. Mm. So the the balance in recovery and uh, loading, that's, that there, is, there is hardly no balance. So I have to bring the balance in my program. It's meaning I have to spend some hours mm. in doing simple things, basic things, 
and not being really busy with uh, preparing kicks on a higher level. Mm. That's because of the lack of balance. And if you do double training a day, mm. then there is, that's easier, much more easy. But you need the system for this because I understand school is important. Then how do the athletes in the Netherlands, the young athletes, how do they study and train twice a day? Well, give me 20 minutes and I'll speak to No, it's, it's basically it's simple. Eh? Uh, we have uh, all, all over the country, we have 27 high-performance schools. And a high-performance school is for identified kids. If you're identified as a talent, you can go to this school. That means the school adjusts the program to your wishes. Yeah? That means, of course, that you cannot finish your school at the same a speed as a normal student, but there is one guarantee, and it's a very important guarantee for our parents. They guarantee you will finish your school later, but at the same level as you should have if you were not being a high performance gymnast. So that makes a lot of parents being uh, willing to, okay, let's do, because at the end it doesn't matter if you start your working career at 22 or 26. Yeah, so that is the big, big difference. And, and, in every high performance, every country on a high level in gymnastics has a more or less the same kind of system. Interesting. Gary, the COVID-19 virus has affected several sports events and programs here in Singapore. Perhaps you can bring us up to speed on how your NSA is coping with this. Yeah. Um in the National Training Centre, we implemented quite a few strategies straight away. So I think it was um, the, 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 the weekend, it was before it even went to Orange, we were already putting in temperature taking. Uh, we'd already asked everybody to declare. So we'd put in quite a few strategies before we even had to. Um, for our competitions, we did cancel one of the competitions for our rhythmic athletes, and that was just right at the beginning when everything was um, a little bit unsure of what was happening everywhere so we, it wasn't a, a key milestone event so they didn't travel to that. We did cancel out the national championships mm. which is would have been happening right now mm. in March uh, as soon as it went to Orange and we cancelled our awards dinner. Okay. So we've done that. Um, Singapore Open is in June where we haven't made any firm decision but as people start to say do not travel to Singapore it becomes harder to work, um, work through that. Mm. We also do have Asian Championships, which is a uh, qualifier for the Olympics, the last qualifier actually, and also a test event in Tokyo in May. Mm. Um, we were just talking about if we, what will happen uh, if it's you have to come back and have 14 day, 14 day stay at home. Well, there's not no chance that we're going to take any athletes out of the country. So, mm. at the moment, the safest place to be is in Singapore. I think we're doing a, we're doing a good job. So, the safest place is we do have. Uh, in uh, Paquin in New Zealand in April. So at the moment that's still on, mm. um, but being monitored closely. So are you waiting for you know the Doscon to go back from orange to yellow before you can? Before we go to Paquin, it's really just assessing what's happening in New Zealand. Um, when we discussed it and did the go ahead the other week, there'd been no cases in New Zealand. Now yep. there's been one or two. Um, we'll monitor where we're going. So yeah. if New Zealand starts to get a little bit out of control, then we'll we'll sit there and assess that. But in terms of like your your Singapore-based events, like your championships yeah. and your awards dinner, if it's back to yellow, would you be able yeah. to go go ahead with it, yeah. or you still have to just no? Still good question. National champs is September, so we're hoping by September we we're back to yellow. And the awards dinner, we'll scale it down on a, a bit of a smaller scale, and mm -hmm. we'll just have an awards function, mm -hmm. and um, we'll that we'll schedule that. I've actually booked. Um, I've got three or four bookings each month mm -hmm. already booked. So as soon as um, it drops, we'll 
we'll run that. Um, okay. So we're just trying to move through it. It's it's actually just means you have to be on your A game. You're monitoring things. We've got staff business continuity plans. So mm. half the staff are in and half the staff are out. Mm. So we can make sure business as usual. But we're a pretty connected team. We've got go to meeting. We have meetings. So it's actually not that hard um, really to keep on going it's making sure the environment for the athletes as we said Bishan the boys are in a a centre where there's a lot of other people Mm. we don't have control so at OCBC we have more control Mm. and at CCAB we have control but at Bishan for us um, making sure that we keep our athletes safe Okay, Uh, Terry we're already three months into a brand new decade what are you working on at the moment in gymnastics? As Graham mentioned, there's a persevering competition in April, the mm. World Cup. Mm. So looking at uh, having a top five finish, yeah, and yep. the flawed size and ball, I've been fine-tuning uh, my execution, so my landings, trying to stick there, and also trying to learn a few more difficult skills like the ball. Mm. I'm actually learning a backward triple twist and a front double somersault on the ball. So yeah, looking at having my difficulty, mm. but at the same time fine-tuning my execution, so to be able to place uh, closer towards that top three quarter finish um, score. Okay. Uh, just out of curiosity, uh, when you competed at the Sea Games, you would have competed alongside Carlos Yulo, who is the world champion in artistic gymnastics. Uh, so, watching the Filipino star perform, what did you take away for yourself? Wow. Yeah, that was quite an experience. Yeah. Um, I guess the two things that took away were um, to be humble because he's so young, mm. and the age to I think he's the youngest world champion on the floor mm. yeah, so he's so humble that's the first thing I got yeah. uh, but the second is to stay hungry so he still works towards his goals which ultimately is the Olympics yeah, but so it's easy to be distracted you know wow home crowd the Olympic charging is saying like you look yeah. you yeah. could hear it it's yeah. deafening I was there yeah. I was like I didn't know about you look until at that very moment yeah, <laughs> yeah you leave it, it ringing in your ears but mm. yeah, he still stays humble and he is focused it's not distracted by the paparazzi um, yeah, all of that, which is yeah, very memorable. Yeah. Uh, you competed five years ago when we hosted the Sea Games in Singapore. Was the crowd support here at the gymnastics events? Did they, did those events have that same electrifying atmosphere as in Manila? In other words, did our Singapore fans show up to support our gymnasts in 2015? Well, they didn't chant our names yeah. with that being screamed. But one thing's for sure, they, they came down in the halls to support yeah. us. Yeah. So, like, home family members, it was very encouraging to see people that they didn't re- even uh, recognize. Mm. Like, members of the public say, hey, good job. And yeah, they actually came up to affirm the effort they put in because, you know, like Karen mentioned, it's like a build up of um, decades of preparation. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, let's go for the like, SEA like, three, one or two years, mm. or even months. Uh, yeah, I, I've been looking at the SEA Games since I was a kid. <laughs> Uh, maybe when I was like 8 so mm. I finally hit seniors when I was 18 mm. so that took at least a decade so looking forward it's just um, very encouraging like you meant you asked um, you had to see uh, both uh, fits that I recognized mm. and didn't recognize yeah mm. okay Karen Norden as the GM of uh, Singapore Gymnastics what are your expectations of Terry in 2020 and possibly next year as well at Sea Games in Vietnam yeah um, Terry is an amazing role model and one of the things that I learned from this seat the Sea Games, that it's been my second, is there's a, there's a lot of athletes go, oh, just, I just want to get to Sea Games and then they quit. And they think that's the ultimate. They aspire to that. And um, one of the things for having Terry around is he aspires to more than one Sea Game. It's a continuous Sea Games. Um, and it's, yeah, his role modelling is amazing. So, and 
the, the men's culture is a product of all these guys getting together and um, making sure the younger ones realise it's not just one C Games, it's Asian Games, it's Asian Championships, you can get there but you've got to work hard and they're very respectful. For Terry it, it is about him consolidating, getting a few more, um, getting his D score up so it's definitely, com he's com he was competitive at last year at C Games mm. but making sure it's beyond a doubt competitive um, and I think just this year's consolidating, getting through some of the monkeys on his back that he's had on. Um, for some of the key events, you know, Terry's been working really hard through that. So I'm, I'm really excited to see that what he's going to show us next year in Vietnam. Okay, Terry, we'll let you have uh, the last days uh, before we bring in your national teammates, Sir Anne, who's been waiting eagerly to speak to us. So, what are your plans for your gymnastics career, say for the next one to three years? I'm especially I'm graduating uh, next year in May, so it's actually pretty fast. But I hope to train towards um, Asian Games and Commonwealth Games in 2022. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I hope to be able to ease into my working life and everything else. So a lot of distractions along the way that I see are coming. Actually, no, no distractions, but this is a life-based thing. Mm. But how do I accommodate uh, these things well into the plans that are already there? Yeah, so that's the challenge. All the very best, Terry. And uh, Terry's going to leave us for now. We'll be joined by his teammate together with Herrick. And Karen nodded. We'll be back in just a few moments. Welcome back to episode 16 of SG Sports Uncut. Today we're profiling Singapore gymnastics. We're delighted to have now Tan Si En. Uh, Karen, perhaps you can say a few words about Si En. I mean, for those who are still not familiar with her. Uh, um, she's an amazing young woman who has really made sure she can achieve her dreams. So uh, about two and a half years ago, three years ago, she left Singapore so she could achieve the dream of the Olympics. Mm. Um, it's what's driven her all along. She's trained really hard before she left Singapore, but she realised that she had to do something if she was going to make it. Mm. Um, it was driven by her, not by her parents, but they certainly supported her all the way. Um, she's a quiet achiever. She's not someone that, um, you know, she's not vocal and she's not loud, but she's that really determined, quiet achiever. Uh, I think she's a great role model for some of the other young athletes to see um, if you really dedicate something, you can achieve it. Okay. So then, uh, we finally managed to get you onto the show as you were supposed to appear five months ago in the build-up towards the SEA Games. You sustained an injury back then which ruled you out of the, the Manila Games altogether. So tell us what happened back then. Um, I was on my last event of the day during my last routine and I think I was pretty tired that day but you know I just I was gonna push through and then I was going for my dismount and I was kind of off center and I didn't get the takeoff that I needed so I under rotated and didn't finish my twists and kind of landed sideways so I injured my knee. So but it wasn't a muscle tear it was? Um, it was oh. okay it was pretty minor. Okay um, how much of a disappointment for you uh, was it to miss out on the SEA Games in Manila? Um, I was pretty disappointed given that I'd already missed out on the SEA Games before that due to another injury but you know I think things happen for a reason and it was just setting me up for a bigger comeback. Okay, uh, did you feel that you had prepared enough to possibly win a medal at the SEA Games that you, you actually were meant to compete in? Which event was this? Um, I was, com was going to compete all around and yeah, I felt pretty well prepared. Um, I did take a little break after the World Championships because my body needed it but um, leading up to the SEA Games I felt really well prepared and my body was in good shape. So I think I did have a chance at the all around um, uneven bars and maybe beam depending on who state was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Coach Herrick, uh, when you heard the news of her injury more than six months ago, what went through your mind? I was present when it happened, mm -hmm. 
So, uh, yeah, that's always a big disappointment if somebody gets injured. And by seeing it, it was clear to me it was an injury that will take more than one or two days to recover. So, and then uh, that's the way I always handle uh, injuries. I try to get as fast as possible everybody who has uh, knowledge about it working for us and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty uh, positive about how they uh, have, have how they t t t taken it sorry mm -hmm. um, but I always uh, directly change my mind up to how can I get this girl as fast as possible being ready for her next goal so that's what I did afterwards uh, when the injury happened were you concerned that it might have also wrecked her chances of competing at the Tokyo Olympics this coming July? Mm, yeah, in the beginning I uh, was a bit unsure, but after a few days it was clear it was not a, a really big injury taking months to recover, so mm. in this sense I was relieved. Okay, congratulations by the way for becoming the first gymnast from Singapore in seven years to qualify for the Olympics. Uh, it's been five months since that qualification, so what's going on in your mind right now as we count down to Tokyo 2020? Um, I mean, I guess preparations aren't really going as planned with the whole um, COVID-19 and the injuries, but, you know, I just take it in my stride and take it one day at a time and focus on what I can control and try not to worry about the uncontrollables. So even if the games might be deferred by three months or six months? Uh, we'll work it out, yeah. Okay. I understand that uh, you're back in Singapore, uh, having finished high school? Yeah. So what's next after high school for, for you? Um, as of right now, I'm just training full-time to try to get ready for the Olympics and then after the Olympics, I'll be heading to Stanford to start my college. Okay. You were previously training at the Legacy Elite uh, Gymnasium in the United States. How much of a difference is it training over there and here? Is the caliber of the coaches, the standard of your teammates perhaps um, a, a big difference? Or I would say the biggest difference is the schooling because my school gave me a lot of flexibility in my hours so I only did half days in school and then I did the rest of my classes online which um, allowed me to train more hours. Uh, as for coaches, you know, we have a great coach now. I'm really happy to work with Coach Harry. Um, and I think for teammates, it's just, it was a different mindset over there. They were more just like chuck it and then see how it goes but here we're more risk at first and we like to be more careful so yeah it's just a different mindset okay Harry what do you reckon Suzanne has to work on for the next couple of months well the goal now is to get all her routines on a, on a competition base competition level and being uh, injured means you always have to adjust your training mm -hmm. now she's more or less 100% uh, recovered and then we started to build the depth of routines that means more routines uh, uh, more competition oriented routines step by step. That's what we're doing for the time being. Okay, do you feel that she's got a great support system here, enough to get her fully ready for the campaign in Tokyo? Or do you reckon she still needs a short training stint overseas or a competition perhaps? No, the, the situation she is in, she is in an ideal situation, having no school issues so she can train as much as she wants. We'll, we'll switch over to a double session uh, in a few weeks because now I'm building up uh, condition, uh, physical strength, etc. Et mm. If she needs a competition, well, I will discuss with Suen. If she thinks she needs one, we'll find one. If she thinks she doesn't need, we'll do some internal tests. Mm. So we will find some situation where we can see uh, what her level is at the time being. Karen, in the likely event there aren't any warm-up overseas competitions are you just going to send Suen straight to the Olympics? 
Probably, yeah, because it's, it's absolutely her health that we're looking at. And I know we've discussed it off and on for a couple of weeks where we go, we think we're the safest here. Mm. Um, and she can continue her training uninterrupted. If we go somewhere else, she might have to have stay at home or her training starts to get restricted. So we've got all the medical people that we need and the support. We don't want to be away from that. So um, I know certain... You know she's pretty comfortable if we do go straight to the Olympics we've got it we've got judges here we can put her under pressure mm. you can assimilate things you can make the noises you can do a whole heap of things that uh, make it feel like under pressure mm. so we'll do that uh, Singapore Open is in June we probably even if it's not an international event we'll still hold a more of a local event and that will be a, a good way of getting out any of the cobwebs that may be there. She's pretty, she's done a few competitions now, so she, um, sometimes it's not competitions, it's more about the mindset. Um, and for us, she's doing a lot of work, we've got a great psych team. Mm -hmm. So the support of just making sure you do feel comfortable not doing what you normally do mm -hmm. is probably more about about it than actually physically doing it. Okay, so then you had remarkable results at the World Champs last year, uh, which helped you to qualify for the Olympics. So without any probable major warm-up events do you see that as a major disadvantage to your chances at the games even though we might be able to simulate similar scenarios here um i don't see that as a disadvantage i guess well you can see it both ways but if that were the case i would just take it as an advantage because then i can save my body for tokyo instead of having to go increase my training load to prepare for competitions and then come back down slightly so it's more of a level increase instead of like going up and down okay uh, you've been back in singapore a few months already have you seen changes in the gymnastics community or the younger athletes that are coming through the ranks um it's a new crop of athletes coming up that i'm not very familiar with because i haven't i didn't train with them in the past and my old teammates have moved on to do other things now so yeah i'm excited to see where they go uh, with your training over in the United States, what are one or two components that you feel we could also implement here in Singapore? Um, I don't really think it's about the training. I think it's more about the support around it and the schooling system. So, you know, if uh, high-performance athletes could have a more flexible schooling schedule, I think that really benefit. Okay. All right, then. We're almost at the tail end of uh, today's discussion. Karen, perhaps a few words on youth development and how is the Active SG Gymnastics Academy coming along? You touched this... Uh, yeah, yeah, we're really excited that um, the first one will be up and running in April. And as I said, we'll be going, aim is to do 14 by the end of um, March 2021, which is pretty ambitious. But we think our clubs are ready. We've got some good coaches. Our education framework that we've developed over the past two years uh, will ensure that we've got enough of the workforce and we can roll it out. We, we actually partner with Republica Polytechnic in delivering our fundamentals course. So having all of those sort of things in place, we've done a lot of work on the ground to make sure we can roll it out quite quickly. We've, uh, quality assurance with our clubs and also we've rolled out a child commitment statement so all our clubs are signing up to that. Okay. So we're pretty excited about the future for the academies. In terms of community and uh, public en engagement, what are your planned programs for the rest of the year? Uh, as we said, Singapore Open is definitely one yeah. um, that we were going to be featuring and promoting maybe some other Olympians that were coming along because we were invited them. But, uh, you know, trying to get the public on board and come and see Sir Earn because it, it is an Olympian, you don't get to see that in your home 
on, on home soil very often. Yeah. Uh, we've got na national championships in September now, mm. so we'll do that. But we've got a lot of participation events that we're still hoping to run. So we've got um, our gym fest, which is in November, and we'll be launching a new type of uh, gymnastics program called Team Gym. It's, it has adult gymnasts, ex-gymnasts, any gymnasts, it's recreational and you come out and you um, perform and have a good time. So we're really trying to get into participation at a, at a level that we can encourage more people on board. Nice, nice. Coach Harry, uh, what will you be working on with your artistic trainees in 2020? Well, first of all, of course, uh, Suen getting her to the Olympics. Second is uh, our juniors, they will change over to seniors in a year or a year or two years. And I want them to be competitive at this age on a senior level. And thirdly, we're in the process of bringing a, a bunch of new kids, young kids, uh, eight, nine, ten years old, and I hope to well, build them up. And of, at the last uh, is I hope to build a, um, a more uh, open relation to clubs because I based on uh, CCIB and I have not, not that many uh, contacts with clubs and I hope to be able to uh, make this better. Mm. Okay, and if you had the chance to wish for one thing for gymnastics this year to change, what would it be? <laughs> Let's have a talk about school. School, yeah. The structure, right? yeah. the tree. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. So, so then, this is a historic year for you. How do you plan to see it through? Um, just one day at a time and enjoy the journey. Okay. Uh, what's next for you after the Olympic Games? Is to yeah, I'll be starting college in Stanford. Okay. Uh, so Karen, we'll let you have the final word. Um, but as we know, last week in Parliament, it was uh, announced uh, for further collaborations between the MOE as well. Gymnastics uh, was is one of the ten sports that I think uh, primary school students would now have greater access to the sport. So taking that as in as well, what is your final message to the public as the general manager of Singapore yeah. Gymnastics? Gymnastics is a foundation of all sports and like our tagline is start here, go anywhere. Um, so start here, um, you can go into any other sport at a high performance level, you can come, go to the Olympics, but you can, you can actually just have better health. And there's so much uh, documentation around and research around about if you have good fundamental skills, you continue to be healthy and participate in any type of sport for life. And I think that's the part that we'll be partnering with Active SG, Co uh, Sport SG and Coach SG on making sure we can deliver to the schools. Um, and our club, our club system is really important to us and coach, uh, coach education. So they're the two things that we're really striving to continue to grow. It's about sustainability. Um, we could go into primary schools uh, quite quickly, mm. but it's making a sustainable model that um, looking around the world, what, what does work in all the other places around the world when you go into schools or go into kindergartens, it's, the club system is what works because then there's a pathway. Mm. So it's okay to go into schools and have that one touch awareness program, but where do they go after that? You want them to have a pathway and you need the club system to be able to support that. So we're really excited about our partnership with um, Active SG and I know I, I did hear what the Minister said and we we're excited and I know we've spoken to the CEO about partnering. Okay, on that note, uh, Karen Norton, Tan Suen, Coach Harriet Beltman, thank you very much for appearing on SG Sports Uncut. Uh, we wish you and all your athletes, including Terry who was in the show earlier on, the very best uh, for 
for the sport and uh, you know in and in your respective careers as well. Thank you very much for coming on board at G Sports Uncut. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And you just heard from our friends from Singapore Gymnastics. Let's hope for the very best for our athletes, the public and the stakeholders that are involved in the sport for the next few years. Well, if you have any concerns about today's show, feel free to drop us an email at sgsportsuncut at gmail.com. Till the next time, I'm Raj Kumar. Bye for now.